If you have your Bible, open to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is where we will be. I asked Kendall to, um, to lead Chainbreaker, or to sing Chainbreaker for us, because it does go actually perfectly with what we are going to talk about today. As you see, the title of today's message in our Leave Your Mark series is Chainbreaker. And for a very good reason, and you're going to see two chain breakers in this story, and it's going to be kind of a double entendre, but that'll become more clear as we get to the end, as we start progressing through the material a little bit. Now, you may have noticed that we skipped over chapter 4, and I did that for a reason which is primarily dealing with the parables. And the reason that I chose to skip over the parables is because at the end of last year, we did a teaching series on the parables, uh, parables from the pit, if you remember that. And then at the beginning of this year, we had a preaching series, Parables from the People, where our guys helped preach through the parables. And so for that reason, I chose to get over that one into and, and move into chapter 5. Chapter 5 of the book of Mark is one of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible for me personally. In this chapter, we're going to see today and next week, we're going to see Jesus encounter the brokenness and the frailness of humanity. And He does it with such grace and compassion, and it's, it's, it's in the midst of this that we see Jesus leaving tremendous marks on the people that He comes across, but it also challenges us to go out and to leave Jesus' marks in the community and on the people that, that we encounter. And it's an incredibly powerful chapter. Today, the first 20 verses is is just a really powerful encounter. And then next Sunday, as we get into the, to the latter part of the chapter, I am going to lay out for you what is known for me as a theology of ministry. In other words, the reason why I do ministry, the reason why I preach, the reason why I teach, the reason why... I work also as a chaplain, is all wrapped up in the last part of this chapter. Because just to give you the, the basic gist of it right now, is that I believe that every single person is one, in need of a Savior, and two, every single one of us should be willing to sit in the dust of the road with people and tell them about the Savior. And so that's what I'm going to talk about next week. But I love this chapter. And if you want to go ahead and read on ahead and be prepared for next week, I invite you to go ahead and do that. But today we're talking about Chainbreaker and Chainbreakers. You know, we often play pretend games around one another. You remember playing pretend or make-believe as a kid? You could be whatever you wanted, whoever you wanted. You had all these great superpowers and abilities. You know, you could be whatever you wanted, 
But when the game ended, you went back to being your normal self, right? And that's kind of the the healthy way to play that kind of game. But the problem is, as adults, we a lot of times also pretend, but we forget that the game ends. And we keep on pretending, right? And we do this especially at, at church. People of faith are notorious pretenders. We come to church, you know, your house has just been absolute chaos. You know, everything is going wrong. Okay, you have overslept on Sunday morning, okay? You've overslept. The kids don't want to wear what you put them in or they sit down in the sink after they're fully dressed like ours have done a couple of times. You get out to the car and there's no gas and you get here and you realize everybody's forgotten their Bible and they're screaming and they're fighting in the car and they're yelling at one another and you kids don't be quiet. I'm going to turn this car around and we pull into the church parking lot and we're like, good morning, brother. <laughs> yes. Everything is just, yes, everything is fine, praise Jesus. Everything is good, it's so good to see you. How are you? You know, we do that. We come to church and we act like everything on the outside is just great, when on the inside we might be dying. You know what I'm talking about? We put on, we put on the facade, okay? We act like we have no needs, okay? Like we don't have anything wrong, like everything is great and everything is absolutely perfect when actually we have desperate needs. Desperately need the touch of Jesus in our life. Desperately need someone to notice who we are and to speak to us more than just, you know, hey, how you doing? Okay? But we don't do that. A lot of times we hide that. You see, I think all of us from, all of us to, to some degree or another, we suffer from our own form of, of inner bondage caused by human failures, by our own failures, and by the forces of evil that, that surround us. Behind the, the facade of freedom, there are bondage and chains. There is struggle. There is brokenness. There is doubt. There is addiction. There is injustice. There is oppression. There is pain. And there is suffering. And it leads me to ask the question, how can we be set free? How can we be set free from the chains that bind us? As we move into the text today, we're going to discover the answer. And what we're going to see is that as we encounter Jesus, encountering people, we're going to see that there's three different engagements that he has as we, in this text. All three encounters are different, but they are all interwoven together. Each of the people or or group of people that he encounters are going to make requests. There's going to be three different requests that are made to Jesus. Okay? Two of the requests he is going to grant. A third one we fully expect him to, to grant, but he actually refuses. And it's in that refusal that we are going to learn how we as followers of Christ 
leave our mark. So let's begin reading together. And I'll do what I normally do. I'll read a little bit and then I'll stop and and comment along the way. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. As soon as Jesus hits the shore, he immediately locks horns with yet another person who has been shackled by demonic forces. What we have learned as we've gone throughout our our study in the book of Mark is that wherever Jesus goes, His holy presence triggers an immediate reaction from the unholy. The demons do not cower in fear, but instead they compel this man to rush out and to confront Jesus face to face. Now then, if you're looking at this text, you could very easily... Read to the end of verse 2 like I just did, and then you could drop down to verse 6, and it would flow perfectly. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. Verse 6, when Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell down before him. Okay? You could easily go that way, and we've got a lot of information. There's a man that has a demon, and he's going out to see Jesus, but Mark gives us this, this vivid description of what is going on in this man. Notice verse 3. He says, He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain. Now, what kind of demonic force are you host to when, one, you're not allowed to live in your community, the only place where you live is out in the tombs where the dead people are, where you can't disturb anybody, You've become such a nuisance to your community, such a nuisance to your community, that they have attempted to bind you up with chains, but yet that's not even working. Okay? That is what is going on right here at the beginning of of Mark chapter 5. Now then notice verse 4. Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but he had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So there's the first chain breaker right there. It's this man. We don't know his name. What we do know is that he lives in this Gentile region, this this area where, where the garrison people live. They're not Jews. They're not Hebrews. They haven't grown up hearing about Jesus. But they have their very own demoniac that lives kind of in their community, haunting the tombs, and no one can control him. They put chains on him, and he, and he breaks them. Okay? Do you know anybody strong enough to break a chain? Can you break a chain, Jeffrey? Yeah. All right. Depends on the chain. Yeah. Now, I can break a little gold rope chain. But if you put a chain on me to subdue me, I'm not going to be able to break it, okay, without some help. Obviously, they didn't think this guy would be able to break this chain. Otherwise, they'd have used a stronger chain. They chain him up. He breaks. He tears the chains apart. And he breaks the shackles, 
Okay, no one has the ability or the strength to subdue him. Okay, the Greek word that is used right here is domzo. And it is used to describe the taming of a wild animal. Okay, so a better translation would be that no one was able to tame him. Now then, watch what happens in verse 5. Night and day among the tombs on the mountain. Night and day among the uh, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Do you think he's the one who's doing that? Or do you think there's something else that's kind of driving the ship? Remember before we got into our series in Mark, I did kind of a one-off sermon. It was called Imago Dei, where we looked at the image of God. That's, that's kind of what, that's what that phrase means, the image of God. Okay, the reason this guy is, is cutting himself is because after the fall of mankind, you know, after sin enters the world in, in Genesis chapter 3, the image of God still resided in humans, but in this case... Or in any demon possession case, demons are going to do whatever they can in order to try to destroy the image of God. Okay? And what we, what we realize, what we realize is that this guy very sadly is a microcosm of Romans 8, 22 and 23. That says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. That text that Paul wrote out describing all creation is playing out in this man's body. Okay? He's crying out in the tombs. He's cutting himself the, the, the demons are attempting to destroy the image of God that is within this man. So you get down to verse 6. It says, when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So here's the first encounter. Jesus is encountering face to face this demon. And what we're going to find out is it's more than one. And so he sees Jesus and he comes over to him and he attempts to take control of the situation. Because it's believed in this time that if you knew someone's name, that if you spoke their name, it gave you power over the person that you were trying to subdue. And so he comes and he recognizes who Jesus is. And that's a good point for us because even the demons recognize who Jesus is. A lot of humans refuse to face the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, but the demons recognize Him. Okay? And so... This guy comes over and says, Jesus, you're the son of the Most High God. What do you want with me? He's attempting to to gain control over Jesus. 
over the, the son of the, of the most high God. And then he begs Jesus not to torment him. Because Jesus has said, come out of him. You're, you're unclean. And he's begging for Jesus. He's begging for Jesus not to send him away. The demon does not respond automatically. He doesn't instantly vacate the man. Instead, watch what happens. Verse 9. Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. Because we are many. What we discover very quickly is it's not just one demon that has possessed this guy. It is legions of demons. A Roman legion consisted of 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. This is the depth of evil that is residing in this man, tormenting him day and night, seeking to destroy the image of God. Now then, there's another point that's very, very important right there. A full legion of demons does not have the ability to destroy the image of God. Do you hear that? Nothing can destroy the image of God that resides in you. No person, no thing, no event, not something in your past. Nothing can destroy the image of God that lives within you. If a legion of 6,000 demons couldn't do it, nothing else will. But it will attempt to do it. It will attempt to destroy. It will attempt to, to, to discourage and, and turn away. To make you give up. To make you give up on your faith. But he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there. Feeding on the hillside. Send us to the pigs that we may enter them. What we see happening is that there's this engrossing battle of wits that's taking place between Jesus and and the demons. Because the the, the evil spirits, they're, they're worried about being forced away from their familiar surroundings. They perceive that where they are, this area of the Gerasenes that, is, that, that has nothing to do with God, that this is their territory. They're on their home turf. Then all of a sudden Jesus shows up, commands them out of this guy, and they're begging, they, recognizing who he is, they are begging Jesus not to send them away. It is their territory. But here's the thing, the kingdom of God manifests in Jesus, is laying claim to all the earth. There is no protectorate of Satan that is safe, and they know that they are pitted against superior firepower. This is Luke eight, Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, coming to life, where Jesus says, I came to set the captives free. I came to bring people out of their bondage. And so they beg to be not sent out of the area. They beg to be sent into the pigs and Jesus grants the first request right here. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits 
came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned there. So you see the destructive force that Jesus is dealing with. This legion of demons has been absolutely thrashing this man. He has to live outside the community. He has to live among the tombs. They've tried to chain him up, but guess what? He's too strong. He can't be bound. He breaks the chains, and so he's just out there wailing into the night. He's cutting himself with rocks. He is completely tormented. Jesus commands the demons out. They ask to enter this herd of 2,000 pigs. They do, and what happens is the pigs instantly run down the slope into the sea, and they die, they drown in dramatic fashion. Now then, many modern readers tend to miss the point right here. Because they might be, they might be focusing too much on what's happening to the pigs. And we want to be sensitive because you know, we, we love animals, right? But sometimes we can get so focused on the pigs that we fail to see the actual point. And there's a couple of things that we need to note here. First, Jesus does not kill the pigs. Okay? He doesn't co-sign what happens to them. He gives them permission to leave this man and go into the pigs. The evil takes them over. And the reaction is for them to rush down into the sea. Because evil is its own destructive force. But the main point here is that a man's life is far more valuable than even 2,000 pigs. Okay? That's the important thing, is that this man, who has been caught in complete bondage, okay, has been freed. Physical chains, he can absolutely break. The spiritual chains of evil absolutely have a hold on him. But Jesus the second chain breaker has shown up. And Jesus has broken has broken the chains. Well, that leads us to the next encounter. And we find that in the crowd. Now, typically, as we have read the stories in Mark, people have come to faith, they've been healed, And what happens? The fame and the name of Jesus spread, right? Spread so much that he can't stay at home. Okay? What have we seen Jesus do time and time again? He'll heal somebody, and then what does he tell them? Don't say a word. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. Just go and do, you know, know, praise God, that kind of thing. But don't talk about it. And so here is this guy who has been tormented... And tormenting this community, we expect an explosion of faith, right? Because this guy's been freed of his demons, but that's not what happens at all. Something else takes over. Verse 14 says, The men who tended them, the pigs, ran off and reported it to the town and the countryside. 
and people went to see what happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Do you see the contrast between verse 15 and the earlier verses we read about the man? Before he's living in the tombs. He's been shackled, he's been chained, he's broken all those. He cries out through the night and he cuts himself with stones. The people come out, they hear what's happened. Okay, the 2,000 pigs are floating in the sea. The demons have been exercised out of this guy's body. They get out there and instead of rejoicing that this person is freed and can now rejoin his community and his, and his family... They're afraid. They're afraid of what is of, of what is happening. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. The demons begged to stay. The people are begging Jesus to leave. The people may not know who Jesus is, but they recognize his power. And any power that could subdue and drive out the legion is too much power for them. This is why they plead with him to leave. You see, to them, Jesus is, is far too scary. And it reminds us what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that, that Jesus is not safe. Jesus is not nice, but he is good. And because he is good, Jesus grants the second request. They beg him to leave. And so he does. That takes us to the final encounter. The encounter with the formerly demon-possessed man. Verse 19 says, verse 18, the guy sees Jesus. He wants to go with him. He's begging to go with Jesus. You got three things that are begging. The demons beg to not be sent out of the area. The townspeople beg for Jesus to get out of there as quickly as he can. And the guy begs to go with Jesus. But verse 19 says, Jesus did not let him. But he told him, go home and tell your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This is the only request that Jesus does not grant. And this is the first time, by the way, that Jesus ever tells somebody, go tell others about me. Okay? The man is the first chain breaker. 
He can't be subdued. He can't be tamed until He meets Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate chain breaker. He breaks the chains of the dark forces of evil that are holding this guy captive. Now then watch what happens in verse 20. So he went out and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. David Garland says, Jesus may grant the community's wishes for him to leave, but he leaves this disturbing evidence of his presence. The infamous man with the legion of demons remains to proclaim how he has been delivered by God's mercy. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes on into the Decapolis, which is a region of ten different Gentile cities. And he begins to tell his story about this guy who came to town one day and freed him of everything that was holding him captive. And it's right there. It's in that refusal that we're going to find how we leave our mark. But first a word about Jesus, Marks. Jesus' power is sometimes scary to those who have become accustomed to their shackles. That make sense? The only thing to do with Jesus. Happy to be where I am. I want to stay right where I am. Jesus, that Jesus stuff, that's too much. I'm content with where I am. We see that Jesus will not force his power on anyone. This is an important lesson for Christians to accept and and to practice ourselves. Some people, as we encounter them, they're not ready and they're not willing to accept the power and the freedom that Jesus offers. And so what we do is instead of forcing it down their throats or beating them over the head with it and laying an enormous guilt trip on them, we do what Jesus does. We change tactics. Okay? They're not ready to hear about Jesus. They're afraid of Him. The guy wants to go with Jesus and Jesus thinks, you know, that, that's not going to work. Because if Jesus is really here to subdue and to break strongholds, then somebody's got to be there to do it. They're not ready for Jesus. They're scared of Jesus. So he tells this guy, you go back. He commissions him, you go back and you tell the people what I've done. You go tell them about the mercy of God. Jesus is not deterred by the people asking him to leave. He just adjusts his strategy. And so sometimes we have to do that too. We have to adjust our strategy. We have to adjust adjust our approach. And sometimes you know what that means? It means that maybe we stop talking about things. And we just start loving people for who they are. And And we build trust in a relationship, and they see that we're genuine, and that we truly care about them, okay? And guess what? When we do that, eventually the doors are going to open. 
People are going to know, want to know why we are the way we are. They're going to ask what is different about us, and that's the door opening and saying, here is why I'm different. Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me, and let me tell you about His mercy. Let me tell you how He broke my chains. We have to follow the strategy of Jesus. Jesus wasn't put off. As a matter of fact, in the parable, he basically says you got a 25% shot of getting the message out, of people accepting the message. Okay? Recalibrate. Refocus. Because sometimes people are just not ready. And when they're just not ready, guess what? Change your tactic. If they're not ready to hear about Jesus, let them experience Jesus by the way you treat them. By the way, by the way that you, you love them. So let's talk about leaving our mark. Here's what we need to know. Jesus left his mark by breaking the chains of our bondage. Whatever holds you captive, Jesus will break you free from. Okay, so any of those things that I mentioned back at the beginning, if it's, if it's self-doubt, if it's shame, if it's worry, if it's guilt, if it's pain, if it's suffering, if it's addiction, Jesus can break those chains that are holding you. Jesus left his mark by breaking our chains. Here's how we leave our mark. We leave our mark by proclaiming to others the freedom we have in Christ. That one demoniac You wonder what would have happened had Jesus let him go with him. Probably would have been some good stuff. If I were a betting man, I'd say we probably wouldn't hear much more from him. Because the only people we really hear from in the Gospels are the hand-picked apostles. Right? Jesus knew what he was doing, didn't he? He knew that the people were never going to accept him right off the bat. He frees this guy and says, you go be my ambassador. You go tell people. And not only, not only does he tell the entire Gerasene region, he ends up going to ten other cities proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. A Gentile proclaiming the message of Jesus before Gentiles are even brought into the kingdom. And what we see is there is a kingdom worldview that is happening right here that Jesus is going to break the chains of all people. No matter where they come from, no matter what their background is, Jesus is going to break their chains. He doesn't have to be the one to bring the message. He'll find somebody else who is willing. He tells this guy, no... Here's what you're going to do. You're not going to go with me. You're going to carry my message back to these people who are absolutely scared to death of me right now. 
And that's exactly what He does. You see, that's exactly what we do. We are not the chain breakers, okay? We're not chain breakers. We've been freed from chains, but we're not chain breakers. What we do is exactly what that guy did. We proclaim the freedom and the mercy and the grace of our Lord who broke us out of our chains. So two questions. The first is this. What are the chains in my life? Is there something that is shackling you? Something that is keeping you from living up to your fullest potential of who God created you to be? Is there something in your past, something that someone has done to you, something that you have done that you think you can never find forgiveness from? Is there something that is holding on to you? Some fear, some addiction. What are the chains in your life? And then the second question is this, how can I tell my story in a way that is compelling to others? When you talk about how Jesus saved you, don't tell the story like you're reading names from a phone book. Okay, yeah, I go to church. That's great. Oh, yeah. No, talk about what Jesus did for you. Tell them with passion. Tell them with excitement that that Jesus saved me. Willie does that every single Sunday. Think about ways that you can tell that will be compelling for others to listen. Draw them in. Talk, but that means, guess what? You've got to talk about your chains. Okay? This guy talked about his chains. I guarantee you he talked about the physical chains, but he also talked about the spiritual chains that were holding him. We have to talk about the chains that bind us and then talk about the chains that, free, that we're freed from. Talk about the chain breaker. And you know what? When you begin to talk about your chains, it frees others to, up to talk about their chains. Have you ever noticed that? It's funny how God worked that out, isn't it? But that's what it is. Jesus, Jesus left His mark by breaking the chains of our bondage. We leave our mark by proclaiming to others the freedom that we have in Christ.